Welcome to the I Didn't Sign Up for This podcast. My name is Caitlin Nillis, and I'm a mom of two who loves keeping it real and talking about all the hard things in motherhood that no one else likes to. This podcast was created to help women feel seen and less alone through motherhood because at the end of the day, did any of us really know what we were signing up for? So let's dive into the conversation and help you feel less alone. Hello, and welcome to the I Didn't Sign Up for This podcast. This is Caitlin, your host. And today on the podcast, I have Zach Watson. I'm so excited to have Zach on the podcast today. So you may know him on Instagram and TikTok. His handle is RealZachThinkShare. And he has over 600,000 followers collectively on TikTok and Instagram. And he talks about the mental and invisible load of parenthood. He is also a fair play facilitator and he does group coaching on these topics. So welcome to the podcast, Zach. Thank you, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for joining. Um, and so Zach, before we kind of get into the the core topic here, um, I want to learn a little bit more about you, um, especially for the listeners that may not be familiar with who you are. So maybe just start out with who you are, where do you live, how long you've been married, um, do you have kids, things like that. Sure. So I'm 33 years old. I was an engineering major in college, software engineer for two years, teacher for eight years, software sales for two years. And last week uh, was my first week as a coach and content creator full-time. I've been married. uh, We've been married for nine years. Uh, We've known each other for 10 years. And we have a two and a half year old uh, daughter. We live about, about two hours out of Boston, Massachusetts. Nice. That's awesome. I've never been to Boston before, but definitely wanted to go up that way. Um, cool. And then the, also kind of wondering, what was your experience? I always like to ask parents this and like my girlfriends, but like, what was your experience transitioning into parenthood? Um, I'm curious from a male's perspective, what that was like. Did you feel prepared? Did you do any preparation beforehand? What did that look like? Yeah, this uh, this comes up a good amount when I talk with people on the podcast. I don't know if this used to be the content that I used to talk about all the time before I was much more solely on like mental load um, and domestic labor, but I was making content for probably since 2016. A lot of it was for my students. And then in 2021, when our, our child was born, I started talking about what life was like on paternity leave. So I took three months and then got a fourth month on medical leave when I I got appendicitis. So pretty much manifested four months of paternity leave is what I say. (laughs) In terms of like preparing for it, uh, I didn't have the language for it originally, but I think that I originally, I wore a weighted vest. Um, One of the things that I tried to do along with Alyssa's pregnancy was I wore a weighted vest to try to experience some of the weight gain that she was going through. And as like a physical consistent reminder of the limitations of what her body was going through that I would uh, come into con. So I was a teacher at the time. I was typically, when I would go upstairs, I'm pretty tall, 6'5". I go up like two or three stairs at a time. You know, I only go up one or two at a time with the weighted vest on. So as odd as that might sound between weighted vests, I stopped drinking along with her. I stopped drinking coffee. Uh, I think I also didn't take like ibuprofen or any drugs along the way. When a roller coaster trip came up, I like, I said no to it because uh, I know she couldn't. So I, I tried to do a handful of the limitations that I knew she was going through along the way, which I think was preparation but i didn't i didn't really know what i was doing i didn't have the language for it but i think looking back on it i was trying to put myself through some of the emotional labor that she was having to do to prepare for having child um that she was gonna have to limit to herself so that was that was some of the preparation that i did at our baby shower uh i definitely tried to ask a lot of questions looking back on it i wish there had been more guys there um and i'm a huge advocate for guys being super present and having all the other guys there and i don't know somehow engaged for the baby shower i've been thinking about having like a side hustle eventually of like putting on like almost a game show or something for baby showers locally still in the idea stage but that was sort of how we prepared and i think we when we knew the you know she was doing august 2021 
we just kind of saw that as like a black hole of time. And we had no idea what that was going to look like or how it was going to feel. So there's a lot. So the weighted vest, I want to talk about that. Where did you buy that? And, and like when you say weighted vest, what I'm imagining is like, I feel like, wasn't it on like Mrs. Doubtfire or something where... So there's an empathy suit or empathy vest that like exists to like proportionally put the weight where women experience it when they're pregnant. Yeah. I've, I've tried contacting that company many times to do a brand deal and they like, they're semi non-existent on social media, which is disappointing because I think it's very powerful too. I was just wearing like a, like a weighted vest, like you would buy like from Dick Sporting Goods or something. Okay. Okay. But still, I mean, just to go to like those links to kind of experience what Alyssa was experiencing in pregnancy. I think that's really cool. And, you know, giving up drinking and, you know, all the things when you're pregnant, you do have to obviously give up drinking. Like, you know, some doctors say that you can't have deli meat. Um, there's just like a lot of limitations, you know, not to take ibuprofen, other things mm-hmm. like that. So I think that's really cool and really supportive that you did that just so that you could kind of experience some of the same things that she was having to experience. So after the baby was born, what was like the birthing experience? Was it, and what was it like kind of in postpartum, especially because you, you were able to take parental leave, which is in the United States, that's, that's a privilege. So what was that experience like? So the, the birth from started contractions to her coming out was about 19 hours. Um, she had like three panic attacks that day uh, as we drove into Boston, which was, uh, we were living a little bit closer. It was like a 45 minute drive. Um, but she had never really experienced that kind of pain before and was not really prepared for it. We ended up going with an epidural. My huge personal goal that day was to not faint. Uh, I have a history of fainting and like if I see blood and stuff. Um, so I stayed very hydrated and was snacking all day, um, trying not to be annoying about it. Um, I know they're, they've given crap to guys before and like what they bring to the, to the room and stuff. But I think we're kind of both committed that I was going to be in the room and we knew that it was going to take an effort for me to be in the delivery room and not, uh, feeling lightheaded. So uh, I was really yeah. proud. I actually I cut the umbilical cord. Um, inspected the placenta uh, when once it came oh. out, um, which if you had told me that like a week prior, like I was like, there's no way I'm definitely passed out on the floor if I'm anywhere near that thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was kind of that day. And I think actually the, the first time I really saw attention on, on TikTok was the following two weeks. I was talking about how uh, I think Alyssa had, She'd really been committed to breastfeeding. And um, I think the the breast is best people on Reddit uh, really got a hold of her brain. Um, and I think she felt a lot of shame with the possibility of bringing formula into the picture. And so there were a lot of moments where, you know, I was, I was learning as quickly, I think, as she was to learn to soothe the baby. Definitely uh, the very first video that I think broke a hundred thousand and then eventually a million was I said that there was a sixth S uh, that people don't talk about. So there's, I'm going to forget them, but swaddle side sway, uh, suck. I forget what the other one is, but I had said the other one was smell or, and so I would put her shirt over my shoulder so that it would smell like her as, so I could soothe her a little bit better. Um, oh. didn't always work, but there were a couple videos I actually ended up showing that like when I added the t-shirt, it actually improved the situation. Um, so yeah, it, one of those videos did really well. And I remember the other thing I, I talked about, which a lot of people misunderstood, uh, was that she would not sleep outside of anyone's arms. So she would sleep in my arms, she would sleep in her arms, but she would not sleep in a crib or a bassinet. And, um, we had shifts. So from 7 PM to 3 AM was my shift. So she would try to get some sleep. Uh, one of the videos that I'd made was one of the things that I had said was like the hard part of her crying right now is not her crying. It's the fact that I know that I have a, what Alyssa and I had agreed to is if 10 minutes she's upset and I'm not able to soothe her, I have to go wake her up. And she probably just fell asleep maybe 20, 40 minutes ago. 
and I have to wake her up and knowing that like my failure isn't necessarily failure for our child, but it's failure for their mom. And a lot of people thought that we like weren't feeding our baby for eight hours. Like I think uh, I, I coined that video Karen catcher, which was that they comment in the first 15 seconds of the video and then they miss the rest of the context. And so they're, while they're yeah. busy typing away horrible things, um, they could have watched the rest of the video and realized that it was not at all what they were saying it was. So that's wild. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and look at that video because people are like, that's just the last thing that you need also when you're in a very vulnerable state and postpartum, you're trying to soothe your baby. Like you're waking up, you know, you're not getting good sleep. Like you don't need people coming out of the woodworks and just judging you. You're trying to do the best that you can, especially when it's your first, you're like, you literally have no idea what's going yeah. on. So, um, wow, that's, that's so powerful. Me and my, with my first daughter, um, we did formula as well. So like Alyssa's experience and like what you're describing with breastfeeding, I can 100% relate to that. I could not breastfeed my first daughter and I felt so ashamed and embarrassed that I couldn't do it, especially because I was afforded a really generous maternity leave. So I had the ability to stay home. I didn't have to pump. I didn't have to do formula, um, but it just didn't physically, it just didn't work. And I felt a lot of shame about that. And then we ended up, when I did end up switching to formula, we ended up doing the shifts as well. So my husband at the time, he would take like, I can't remember the hours because this was like six or seven years ago, but you know, like nine to one. And then I would take like one on or something, you know, and, and I felt like the shifts really worked and it made, it just made sense for what it was, um, in that situation. And then with my second daughter, I was able to breastfeed surprisingly, like it just worked out this time. And then, so it was just me because I did that exclusively for like 11 months. Um, so it was just me that was feeding her, but just the experiences were so different. So, um, yeah, so I like that, that how you, um, were able to, you know, kind of divvy that up. And when did you start talking about the mental load on, on, on TikTok? You started on TikTok or was it both TikTok and Instagram at the same time? Yeah. So Instagram is actually, I've only had any sort of a following about 13 months ago. Um, but TikTok, I've been steady at it for probably almost three years. Um, yeah. So I, it was about summer 2022. Uh, you know, I, I had a little bit of a following, uh, about 8,000 on TikTok. And there were, I, the reason, the reason that I remember that is because I think for six months, uh, I didn't grow. I was at 82.4 thousand and it didn't go, it actually went down and then it went back up over a set of nine months. Uh, but previously it was like, it had all exploded uh, when I was in paternity leave. Um, part of the reason for that was because I had my child in a lot of my videos and I realized at some point when I think she wasn't in one of my videos and then it you know performed differently than the others, I was like, Oh, I should put her back in there. And then I realized I was almost using her as a prop, which felt really yucky when I discovered. Um, and so I stopped putting her in my videos, pretty much cold turkey. Um, and that was a lot of people wanted to see more of that. And I stopped giving them that. So for a while, I was having an identity crisis as a content creator. I was like, well, what do I talk about now? Do I still talk about parenting? And I realized um, two of my friends, uh, Laura Danger and um, Abby Eckel, uh, they had been talking about fair play, recommended it. And so I, I read the book out loud, um, or I read it and I did like real time reflection. So finished chapter one and then said like out loud on TikTok. So I just read chapter one. This was kind of what I took away from it. And there were a lot of like hard lessons that I needed to learn out of that, that I didn't, you know, I, I had this now 50, 50 to 80,000 women watching me um and holding me accountable to being like a a good dude and i think you know there's so much of me that's like oh i'm a great dad i'm a great guy i have this much proof um and there's still a ton that i had to learn and see so red fair play um and then a couple months later i started um sharing i think i had the first example of a moment like a tiny little moment where i recognized i had a mental load for Alyssa. Um, that was, that was when I realized that mental load was like going to be my thing. So I was talking about it differently than what seemed like most other people. 
Um, I shared the example of our, our daughter was sick. Um, she was still in her, in her crib and um, used, drinking out of milk in bottles. And as we were putting her down for one of, we were there one or two naps a day at that point. And I said to her, Alyssa, hey, should I give her milk or water? Um, and so there was just a moment where I was like, oh, I probably could have said, like, I probably could have said I should, I'm going to give her water and here's why. And so there's this really small example of like a minute question that I could have came up with a solution for and said why I was doing it. And she could, she could decline and say, no, I think we should give her milk. Um, but I mean, that one's at like 6.4 million views, I think on TikTok because it was just one of those moments of like, these are, this is what those little cuts look like that come in droves. And, you know, after a thousand cuts, you end up in divorce. Um, because you can't see all those tiny little ones. So I started talking about these little moments that were adding decision fatigue that were adding, um, little, little items that mom was accountable for instead of dad. Um, and I just realized that after I think the first handful, like people started saying that they were implementing them and that it was making a difference. And so I think when I saw it was making a difference and, course my ego is like hey this is working we're getting followers and people are viewing it and this is great um there's definitely that aspect too um and then in, in march i became a fair play facilitator they saw how much i was talking about their book um actually did some street interviews they sent me cards that looked like game show cards that said fair play on the back and i uh i asked people questions about like some of the statistics that were talked about in the book so that's uh, that's kind of where I started for talking about mental load. I love that. So, uh, okay, so let's talk about fair play because I read the book. I have the cards um, in my house, so I I love the book. Like, I love everything about the book. I love everything that Eve Rodsky um, talks about. I'll link this book in the show notes as well. Um, but what does a fair play facilitator mean exactly? So, a fair play facilitator. Most of them are coaches, therapists, counselors. Um, psychiatrists there's probably some doctors in there I, i'm a coach for men i host there's own so there's 117 of us currently uh, i know they're growing every couple months they have new cohorts to get trained but pretty much uh, what i was gonna say so there's only four of us guys uh myself and john are he's one of the coaches that i'm now working with in my programming but i'd say a facilitator is someone that understands the book understands the method and is there to help folks with implementing it into their lives uh, and implement the fair play method itself. Awesome. That's so cool. I didn't know that they had um, facilitators that were like certified and could help with that. So, um, and if you guys don't know what fair play is, I guess I'll just, do you want to give like a brief kind of overview sure. of what the book is and what the concept is? I suppose I should be able to answer that from a facilitator. Right? <laughs> you probably could answer it better than me, but... <laughs> So I would say that uh, I think your average household sees chores and responsibilities around the house as things that need to get done that are, um, let's say like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do the dishes. She'll do uh, the vacuuming and the cleaning. Like it's, we, we have a lot of um, gender roles that kind of define a lot of the domestic labor that happens. But what a lot of people aren't seeing is the mental load. So I see a lot of guys are, saying like, yeah, I do a ton around the house. Like, what are you talking about? I mental load. Like they think it's BS. Um, it's like, yeah, I go and pick up the groceries. I do all the cooking. I do tons of cleaning. Like I mow the lawn. Like they're talking about all these actions that they do that they execute on. And fair play method takes each of those responsibilities and silos together all of the conception, planning, and execution of them. So Let's take, for example, I think groceries is, is probably one of the best examples there is. Uh, I can't tell you. I, I mean, we do it in our house. We actually have handed over completely to Alyssa rather than um, having me do some of the execution of it. Um, it's the idea of uh, rather than having one person manage the groceries, the thinking about it, the planning for it, and then someone else doing the execution of buying them like getting the list and doing it they manage the entire like 
all three of those pieces of it. So a lot of a lot of families they break them up. So the fair play method is really just taking each of the responsibilities in the house and telling, okay, like mom is not just uh, going to plan and conceive and like figure things out, and then he's going to go do it. Um, if he's going to go do it, he's either going to own the conception planning or she's going to own the conception planning and execution. Yeah, no, I love that. And it's like, I mean, I'm even just thinking like laundry, like laundry is probably another like big one, right? Because then it's like sorting the laundry. You like you have to gather all the laundry, sort it, pre-treat it, clean it, change it, fold it, like reorganize. Like there's so many steps in that and it's so easy to try to just kind of split it up. But then at some point along the way, sometimes communication breaks. What you just named, that was all execution, right? And so then there's the mental and the emotional piece of it too, is the mental piece is um, paying attention, right? We have both have young kids, like they're going to grow out of things. So yeah. <laughs> is, and, and do we want to have that be a part of laundry or is that a separate responsibility is paying attention to the size of clothes and whether they fit? The emotional piece of hey you know she she wore her princess outfit on saturday and she wants to wear it to school again on thursday we need to make sure that it goes in there or else we're gonna have the fit you know thursday morning when we discover that there's still a ketchup stain uh, on the shoulder um so there's the the thinking ahead about those things and normally i i think i'm not gonna say normally i think stereotypically in um, probably the majority of households it's like mom is noticing those things um, because she might be dealing with the headache of that morning. She might be thinking ahead about, uh, she might be more plugged into what's going on at school with the kids. And so she's managing that piece and she's saying, Hey, can you make sure that, you know, the princess outfits in by Tuesday or something? And he doesn't know the importance of that. So there's like a breakup in the sense of the, she's, she's got the conception, the emotional load, She's taking on the planning and then she's delegating the execution, but not handing off the context of it as well. Uh, and or even if he's hearing it, he might not be hearing or understanding the full context of it. And so then Thursday morning when it's still not washed, there's an argument that occurs because there was a, a shifting or a, a slightly sloppy handoff of that specific responsibility. Yeah, I can see how communication is so important. I mean, I just had a thought as you were explaining that. Like, so I, I, I we're doing like spirit days. My daughter, she's in kindergarten. So like, you know, there's like spirit week and there's like all these random days and activities or like they have to dress up in something or it's crazy hair day, whatever. So how would that translate? Let's say that like one parent, like their task is to do like all the child care and like the schooling. So they're getting the, e- they're reading the emails from the school. They're aware of like the spirit days. Let's say that they need to wear a princess dress to school. Does that parent just communicate to the other parent about that? And then they take on to make sure that that outfit is clean and that it's ready to go for whatever day. So as you spoke to right, you, so you have the cards and I think the, the cards are like a good conversation starter um, more so than like, a specific way to go about executing on things. But one of the things that I'm really, I work with, so I only work with guys and as I'm working with them, I'm coaching them to have weekly conversations where you're bringing up things that are, you know, planning ahead for the next week, looking at the schedule, um, identifying like what are the responsibilities that have turned into arguments and what are causing like heated problem conversations um, and let's say, you know, spare week in September uh, didn't go well because there was a breakup. It's like, okay, we, we're noticing that there's one coming up in December. Let's talk about how, what the expectations are for it. Um, we know we're going to have to dig through the bottom of those random drawers that we never touched to find the neon green socks for Thursday. And then we're going to have to double check the thing that she uh hasn't worn for a year still fits her because she only wears it for one spirit day a year. Um, so I think one, I'm recommending that people are talking ahead about those things and saying, okay, I'm going to own the entire conception planning and execution of spirit week. Um, I think let's say someone else held the other card of like school, maybe they're different like ownerships is I would say it's probably the person the person um, that's managing school, uh, they're probably, it's on them to bring it up in that conversation and to 
say, hey, I need support with this. Can you manage this? Here's the calendar. You have the laundry card. You also have the the clothes card and the management of clothes card. Can you make sure that we have appropriate outfits set up for this week? Um, and like between the, I think one of the other things that comes up all the time, and you know, I make this in my content is, uh, hey, did you do that that thing that you said you were going to do? And then is she's saying, and he's like, no, I didn't do it yet. Um, and she said, well, why didn't you do it yet? And she said, well, neither of us came to a conclusion on when it specifically needed to be done by, and there was no context for when you were delegating it originally, when it needed to be done by. So did you get that box down from the attic? And, and then, you know, they'll say, yeah, I'll do it this weekend. And then, you know, Saturday afternoon rolls around. He's thinking I have till Sunday night and she's thinking, well, I really kind of need it before Sunday, but she just kind of let him off the hook with he'll do it this weekend. Uh, and those are those conversations I really recommend that we're including better time stamping really uh, as to when we're going to execute on things and treat, uh, I think treat the responsibilities around the house like you would as your corporate job. I think that it's what I'm discovering solely is that the level of care that we put into our corporate jobs, we, we set time blocks. Oh, I have to write this report. It's going to take two hours. Good. I'm going to put it for two hours bright and early on Thursday morning when I know I have energy to do it. Why aren't we doing that for the things in the home? And I think the answer to that is that for so long, we've been conditioned to think that domestic labor is not challenging. It's not hard. It's, it's a, it's a woman's job, right? And we're slowly seeing, and I, I know I'm evolving every day and seeing it and, and working with it and coaching to it. Um, is that we need to treat domestic labor just as hard, just as complex, um, just as um, requiring as much attention and effort um, as we do in our corporate jobs that we're getting paid for. And it's, it's unpaid labor. It's not like, that's what it is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And I, I feel like, yeah, domestic labor, it doesn't seem like on paper, it doesn't seem like, oh, it's not that hard to just like do laundry or to go grocery shopping. Um, but what I've also found, at least for myself, is when you start adding all of these tasks on top of each other, on top of everything else, um, you know, especially if you work, um, you know, a corporate job or you're at home with young kids all day, like it's really hard to get tasks done. Um, it just feels like so overwhelming when those things are just adding up. Um, and I know in like my own relationships, like my, because I am divorced, it's a like, I s- still carry, I would say like the mental load and invisible tasks um, now, but I feel like it's different. But when I was married, it was like the only time to do those things was after the kids go to bed. But I feel like that co- like could cause problems like in relationships when maybe your partner wants to be intimate or wants to watch a show or connect with you in some way um, because they can't do that when you're at work all day and then you have you know your young kids that need your attention or whatever um, but then your night is consumed with trying to play catch up um, and so that can cause some barriers you know and, and resentment in a relationship or some problems so um, yeah, I love that you that you say that. And then, so what's like a first step that people should take, or what do you recommend to the men that you coach um, when they come to you and they have these problems? Um, is there is there one thing? I know there's yeah. probably not one thing, but if you had to say one thing, <laughs> what would it be? <laughs> I can give you away the entire curriculum for the programming. I mean, the value in what I do is holding them accountable to doing it because it's like one of those things where it's like the diet and fitness industry is a billion dollar industry because It needs to be because we have the information. It's pretty clear what we need to do, eat better and probably exercise more. Um, it's pretty clear also what to do. The di- difference is do you need your handheld for it? So one for guys, I recommend reading fair play. I think the challenge of that book is it's written for women. Um, it's a really hard looking mirror. Uh, we're going to see ugly things. Uh, of ourself. And the question is whether we're going to keep looking in that mirror and decide or say that the mirror is wrong, or if we're going to say, okay, we need to adjust what, what's being reflected back to us. So first I would recommend guys read the fair play book. Um, I have them do reflection questions that I pretty much answered out loud on TikTok uh, in person. Uh, it's a, that's a standalone item. If people want the reflection questions, I actually even 
give a, uh, a small financial incentive. They can buy it for 20. I will buy their instrument back from 40. No one's done it yet because they need their hand held, <laughs> honestly. So, and then the second part is, so we call them boring meetings. Uh, they're, they're just weekly kind of like status meetings. Um, we call them boring meetings because we used to call them like relationships or expectations meetings, which is what they are. Um, but Alyssa was just like, man, that feels heavy. Like, I don't want to go to an expectate. I don't want to go to a relationship meeting. Like let's just, it's a boring meeting. So we just started calling it that kind of for fun. And I've been rolling with it for now. I don't, I don't love the name of it. I think a lot of people push back on it, but, um, really what it is, it's a weekly talk that you're having with your partner, ideally probably 45 minutes or more, um, where you're talking about the things that are coming up in the calendar. When the spare weeks are coming up, you're talking about who, who owns what, what the expectations of that person are for doing it. I think the most impactful one that we've had in recent time was before Thanksgiving. We we're hosting for the first time together. We're in a, we, we moved into this house just about a year ago. And uh, I knew that the level of clean that she was going to want was one different than mine and two much higher level than what I was used to for the whole year. Cause um, you know, I think a lot of women feel judged and uh, anticipate that they're going to feel judged for like the cleanliness of their house. So what we did was with that, we did it for three different weeks. Uh, the, closest one up until Thanksgiving. We walked around the house for an hour and a half and pointed to all the things that need to get done. We created the list together um, and identified what we wanted to do, what were the high priorities, what were the nice to haves, what were the um, what were the things that like, yeah, if we have time, it's okay to do it. Uh, one of the things that Alyssa loves doing is pulling out uh, home improvement projects right before big events. Um, so we, she said, <laughs> I want to do an accent wall, uh, right next to the front door. And I was like, Thanksgiving six days away. Are you sure you want to do this? And so we kind of set some parameters. Okay. If this is not like, if the, if you're not in the full swing of it by like Saturday afternoon before Thanksgiving, then, then we're putting the kibosh on it. We're not doing it now. It's going to happen after Thanksgiving. Um, having those expectations in that conversation ahead of time there are multiple times where she felt stressed out about the timelines we'd created i was like look we created these because we acknowledge that if we try to do this all tuesday and wednesday and then thursday morning like we're gonna really be ripping each other's heads off so me asking you to really get this job done by sunday um means that by the time that guests are coming over mid thursday like we're not going to have to smile behind, like put up like a facade of that. We're happy. Meanwhile, we've just been screaming at each other. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like, that's so, so again, relatable. I think just <laughs> to, to answer your question, like the one thing it's like having a weekly meeting um, where you're talking about the expectations that continuously get broken that are not working and reassigning and acknowledging how things need to change. I think a huge part of what, I'm seeing it that I've historically seen with Alyssa. So I think I see a ton of myself and pretty much all my clients. We think we're better than most guys because the bar is pretty low. So it's not that hard to be where we were. Um, we think we're better than all the other guys and that they should be happy for kind of what they have. And then we're realizing there's so much more that we can be doing. Yeah. I think you, I mean, you said so many, so many good things. I really feel like, Men, it might be like a tough sell to men to say, Hey, we need to sit down like a meeting. Right. And I know that you had said, let's, you know, we need to start thinking about this as like our corporate job, like domestic labor and our relationships. Like in, in some ways we need to have these meetings, but I feel like for men, it might be a tough sell to be like, okay, every Sunday night, we're going to sit down for an hour, go through the schedule, um, that type of thing. Do you run into that at all? Or like, what is your recommendation? If, if women or men are resistant to that. The good and the bad news is the resistance that there is to that, because I know it exists here, right? Is I'm not seeing it because by the time they're showing up to a call to see whether they want to do my program, they already know that, that there's value in what I have to say. 98% of the guys that have talked with since September, since I started offering um, group programming was um, 
you know, their, their wives are like, would you please listen to this guy? Like he makes a lot of sense and he calls himself out first. So that's like, I think a lot of guys immediately see guy influencers talking about these things and like feel attacked. Uh, what I try to do and make it more palatable for them is like calling myself out first. Like this is where I added mental to my wife today and I screwed up and you know, this is my reflection on what I did here. Um, this is what I could have done better. So I think I'm sharing a lot of those examples. They're seeing themselves in it. They're seeing how they can be changing. Um, and then from there, once, once they're kind of seeing that they're like, okay, like, yeah, this guy could probably help me out where, you know, we're, we're fighting a lot. Uh, divorce has been brought up in one of our recent blowups and I don't want to get divorced. That's not all of them. I think a lot of guys just see them. It resonates a lot. They want to change. They want to get better. Um, so I think all the guys that are, that I'm, that I'm talking with are kind of past that hurdle. I'm anticipating you're going to have a mostly woman audience. I think Yeah. one of the ways that I might go about having that conversation, one shameless self plug is show, show my videos. I think that that's the goal honestly is to be shareable with men. But um, I think if you can be pointing out having to do some of the emotional mental labor here, right. Uh, and that's why I don't make videos about this piece of advice that I'm giving. Uh, Cause I always get shit for it. I would say, one, if you're like trying to explain mental load, start explaining in, in terms that they'll understand. So let's say their boss is has a huge ego and that they know that if they show up to their manager meeting and they, you know, they talk to their boss a little bit, they schmooze with them a little bit, like they're doing emotional labor. So when he comes home and he's complaining about his manager uh, doing something, be like, oh man, you put a lot of emotional labor into that guy. And then they're like, what is this language you're using? So if you can start infusing into them their understanding of the work that they're doing, I think then they can see it from their own point of view. And then when you start bringing it up and saying like, Hey, you know, spirit weeks, a lot of emotional labor, because by the time, you know, Wednesday rolls around and we're three days in and, uh, she's, our, our kid is upset because, you know, Tuesday Susie had a better outfit than mine. Like then you can start using that language in a different context, but they understand it because they understood it in their own context. Um, so that's like one, one place I would start adding the language in there, in their own context. And then the second piece would be, I think that there are a lot of guys, if, if you don't want to drop the D word divorce in there, uh, of like, like, you know, we're heading in a really bad direction. I really don't like what's going on here. Like I want to get divorced. Like, or um, I've been thinking about divorce or, you know, I, I think that's a, a scary moment for a lot of guys that they've ended up reaching out to me. But I think before then, to, you know, talk about having these boring meetings, I think I would say like, you know how we always end up fighting about X, Y, and Z. So I think that if we were just talking about it ahead of time, um, you know, we wouldn't get it nearly as mad at each other. And uh, an example is not that long ago in November, uh, Alyssa took I think five or six days on a trip. And I managed our kid for five of the six days. My, my mother-in-law came over to help me out for one of the days. I was happy as a clam the whole time. I knew the whole time what was expected of me, which was everything. It was really clear what needed to be done, everything. However, on, let's say, a typical work day where I'm expecting to work on things till five, and then Alyssa comes to me at 3.30 and says, hey, you're going to pick up uh, our kid? And I'm like, I'm working till five. You usually pick her up at three thirty. Oh well, you know, I told you about. I, I didn't tell you about this, but like, I have this thing that I need to get done uh, right now. Can you go pick him up? I'm pissed. And it's only an hour and a half of work that I had expected to use differently. But like, the different, like, it's only an hour and a half of labor versus we're talking about like eighty, what eighty, ninety hours of labor. And because I was set up, I knew exactly what was expected of me. I'm not upset about it. But when it's put on to me last second, that 90 minutes is painful. So I think if you can be setting up those conversations and saying like, look, you know how we get upset about each other on X and Y and Z. I recognize that when I know those things are coming up or when you know those things are coming up, we don't fight. Like it's never an issue. Um, and we're going to give each other much more credit. We're going to give each other much more like leeway to like mess up and not want to yell at each other. Um, so I think that might be the way I think I 
personally don't get like getting yelled at. I don't like seeing Alyssa being upset from things that I've said or done. Um, you know, as I was working towards being a full-time coach, she uh, made a lot of sacrifice that pretty much from five to nine ish, uh, for two or three months. Um, I was, I opened up my calendar to take calls for potential clients. Um, and she managed the, um, our toddler, um, which I'm really grateful that she made that sacrifice so that I could do it. Um, and there were a lot of moments where I was not communicating clearly about my calendar and I would want to say, Oh yeah, like I don't have any calls tonight. Like I should be good. Like I'm happy to take over from five o'clock. And then I would be like, Oh no, I lied. Actually at seven o'clock I do have a call. And then it's like six 30 and she's pissed. She's like, I was fully yeah. prepared for you to take over the rest of the night. And now knowing that like, I can't take a load off. Like I wish you would just, if you had told me at five o'clock that you had a seven o'clock call, I would be totally fine because I knew it was coming. So I think if we can realize that it's the expectations that piss us off a lot more than the labor itself, I think is like a, a change in perspective on the labor that happens and the upsets that happen. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I totally agree with that. Just like the expectations and kind of setting that up beforehand um, is so important. And I want to go back though about um, about your content and I think why it resonates differently with people. So anytime I talk about like the mental load um, or invisible tasks, um, those videos always get a lot of traction. Like it doesn't matter like what format it's in, like it always performs well. So what that tells me that there's like a real issue there. Um, My audience is primary. I mean, 90% women. Um, I do have some pretty engaged male following as well. And um, sometimes, as you know, like when a video goes viral, then you're just having all these random people viewing your content and putting in their two cents. They don't know anything about your life. Um, But I feel like that's why your account is valuable because you're talking about things that primarily impact women, but you're Mm -hmm. a man and you're talking about it. So I feel like men are more receptive to hearing from a man who's been through it. And then also for those that don't know, Zach calls himself the recovering man child. So he just kind of like calls himself out. Um, and like you said, I think that kind of helps, you know, build like your credibility that you're like, Hey, I've been there. Like I get it. Like, you know, and let's talk about it. So I think that your account's just so important and so valuable. I feel like you're doing the Lord's work (laughs) over there, (laughs) but, um, perfect. And then let's see, I know I had another thought in my brain, but it just like kind of went away as well. You had asked them then previously, um, like what single parents can be doing around mental illness. I was, I had to think about that one for a bit. So I'm going to still give kind of the same advice there. I don't even want to call it advice, but I think if you can, I mean, I know that you've, you've talked pretty candidly about like your relationship with your um, ex-husband and like it, it occurs to me that you guys could probably be having, you know, a 30, 60 minute talk every week to just talk about like the state of the kids and what needs to be done. Um, I think if you, if you're a single parent and you have a good relationship with the, with their other parent, having like committed check-ins, like knowing that you don't want to hurt each other, knowing that you don't want to stress each other out. And like, just knowing like, just like a colleague that is, you know, managing the same accounts or managing the same people, like it's good for you guys to be on the same page. And like, if you are recognizing, you probably need more of these conversations with, with that person it could be a zoom call it could be like literally there was a period where we were so committed to having at least i was especially because i was starting to coach it more um is i was like we need to have boring meetings and like i think she we had missed a monday and i was like no we need one this week because we have a crappy weekend coming up or like a lot coming up so we had a zoom call because it was it was a wednesday where where i was going into the office in boston and i went into a huddle room and i had a zoom call from my wife that works at home, like normally that would just be here coming <laughs> to the office. But like, like I think just like people like get like ick vibes from like scheduling sex and like, like yeah. adding almost like business like structure to things that don't typically have that kind of structure. Um, there's so much value in it that a lot of us are unwilling to get over the hump of we're like, Oh, well sex should be organic and talking about these things should just happen. It doesn't. It just doesn't. 
And that's why the divorce rates at 50 plus percent. Yeah. We just live in such a busy world that it's just, you know, and you, you're both working, you know, or, you know, even if one of you isn't working, like, and you got young kids and there's just so much going on. And then, yeah, it's just, we just live in a busy world. I want to ask, and I know that you've said in previous, in your previous podcast that you weren't going to really talk about like the cause of the divorce. I'll ask a a simpler question is, did mental load and emotional labor play a part of that? Yeah. I mean, I've read the book. So when I was married, I read the book, um, Fair Play and bought the cards. Like we did the whole thing. Um, and so, yeah, it was definitely like played a part in it. Um, I wouldn't say it's the primary reason, but it was there. And something about having that second child just put me over the edge. Like when, when we had my first daughter, um, I was only working part time and he was a student at the time. So he wasn't working. He was a student. He had some flexibility because it was mostly online. I feel like once we had our second child, we were both working full time. He had graduated college. Then we had two kids. We moved into a new home. Like all of a sudden, like all of this happened. And that's really when I started kind of learning about the mental load. And we naturally fell into, um, and I think this happens for so many people. We just kind of naturally fell into these roles. We didn't ever really talked about it. Mm. I just kind of fell into, you know, traditional, you know, woman. Like I was still working my corporate job, but um, kind of fell into like just taking care of all the kids stuff and like organizing it. We never talked about it. And then, yeah, once we had our second child, it was like, whoa, this is like too much. I'm overwhelmed. I, you know, I have no time for myself. Like this can't be you know, we ha- we got to do something about that. So yeah, it definitely played a factor, I would say. Yeah, it's like a really great uh, reason to look at like uh, gay couples is because they don't fall into typical like gender stereotypes. So like if there's two moms, like, okay, well, who's who, like, they have to have a conversation. There's, there's no like, um, there's no mold for them to fall into. Like you have to kind of choose it. Um, maybe it's the person that's more clean, but like, and I think for, for a lot of hetero relationships, like we can really easily accidentally fall into roles because of all the social norms that exist around us and the people in our, you know, in our lives that are pushing us. Like, uh, I think a lot of guys get leeway with, oh yeah, you should come into the office versus like, oh, you have a kid. Like, it's okay, mom, you stay at home. That's fine. Um, for sure. All those like micro moments of pushing us into that mold um is like something that continuously trying to break down it's hard yeah well well and i say this all the time but like i don't feel like it's anyone's fault really like it's because it's just happened over time um just with you know now that more women are working and that like I don't know, just our our world has changed. Um, but now we have a responsibility to talk about it, address it, and just have more of those conversations. Um, you know, we don't need to blame anyone for the way that it is. It's just it's just something that's happened and now we just need to do something about it. So how do people, so I know you do the coaching. I, w- I have a couple of questions about the coaching program. So mm-hmm. how do, first, how do people um, connect with you? And then um, as your, your coaching program it is um, group coaching. Is that just like one session or do people buy like a, you know, like a five pack and they go to five different sessions? How does that work? So I can, I can leave you the link here. I push people to my relationship goals consult, uh, which is an initial call. Uh, women are, absolutely they can join uh it is it's a call to just learn more about the opportunity of it but i mean i've given you we go through the fair play book we go through the reflection questions every week um they're accountable for their homework i i was a teacher for eight years and go down the line like okay did you do your homework um they're accountable for doing their boring meetings um they're not they're not in trouble they don't get b grades necessarily uh, if they don't do it but you know they miss out on a lot uh, of the discussion um, and on those weekly, we're having discussion about the book. We're having that tough look in the mirror. Um, and then we're talking about the boring meetings. I have them say what their agenda is going into it. And like you said, like it's hard for probably a lot of women to um, get guys to show up. The guys that come to my program, like they're, they're accountable for making those meetings happen. So they're bringing it to their partner's attention. They're coming with an agenda. Um, and I'm kind of coaching to look for where, we can be taking mental load off of their partner. So 99% of them came to me because the word mental load was an issue. 
Um, and so, you know, they'll come to me and say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to talk about the birthday party on Saturday. We're going to talk about the grocery list. We're going to talk about the trip we have in two weeks. And I'll say, say more about the birthday party on Saturday. And like, oh, well, you know, we get kids coming over. So I was just going to check in with her about that. And I'll say, what does check in, what does that sound like? You bring that up in a conversation and then, and then we'll like smirk at each other and then they'll know like, oh shit, I'm doing it again. Um, I'll be like, yeah, here, here's what you want to do is you tell her how the party's going to go. Uh, if there's gaps in what you're saying, like, yeah, it's, uh, we're going to start at this time. We have the birthday cake coming in here. I already get the gap gifts wrapped. Um, like they should be able to run through the list of things happening for their kid's birthday party as if they planned it. Maybe they didn't plan it. And that's, that's okay. If you guys are having those conversations, but they're not defaulting to the information just existing in her brain and, and he has to own it. Um, so I'm pushing them to really um, show up to those conversations one being prepared with agendas and two, um, like uh, one of the things I always harp on it. Another answer to your one thing question is like, anytime you're about to ask your wife a question, check to see if you can Google it. If you can't Google it, ask a multiple choice question with a pre-circled answer. Don't ask an <laughs> open-ended question. Like if you yeah. could, if you could reduce mental load in one way, uh, a thousand times a month, um, that would be the way. Um, and then coming back to your question, so it's a, it's a group program. It's 13 weeks as we go through the book and do the boring meetings. Like I'm seeing guys like last week uh, was on week six. Uh, he said it was the best week that he had had in his entire marriage. They've been married for nine years. So um, wow. I think having guys accountable for having those conversations uh, is an absolute game changer. Um, mm-hmm. I know that when I started doing it, it made a huge difference. Um, and when I'm seeing guys like, I'll start saying, all right, man, what do you think I'm going to say next? And then they're like, oh shit, he's going to tell me to do a multiple choice thing. And so like (laughs) it starts clicking and then they start, um, they're doing it themselves. And um, yeah, there's some really good stuff happening in those groups. Um, And then the, there are one-off calls. Uh, There's like a little link within that other link. If people aren't interested in a program, they want like a taste, they want to work with me for an hour, see how that feels. Um, And then they want to, they want to see what other program they might want to engage in. Like we can have that conversation. Got that. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll go ahead and link um, everything in the show notes um, for Zach and then go follow Zach on Instagram and TikTok. His handle is Zach ThinkShare. Um, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. No, on Instagram, it's real Zach ThinkShare, my original. Oh, real. Fished. Oh no, it did. So it's, it's, it's real the- Zach ThinkShare. Yeah, on Instagram and then okay. on TikTok. It's you just have to regular add the real. Picture. Oh, okay. Has, I see. I okay, I'll link, mark, um, so, I'll link the right know. ones in the show notes. You guys can just go and click. <laughs> hey, thanks so much, Zach. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can show your support for this podcast by clicking the follow button and leaving a rating and review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Honestly Caitlin.